Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles, or in a minute, you can follow along on the screen. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 this morning. We are in the middle of our fall sermon series, which is entitled Room to Grow. And the genesis of that sermon series is that God has and is growing Green Tree Community Church. But the, the very worst thing we could do is sit back and say, well, wasn't that growth wonderful? And now we're just comfortable and we'll just cruise right along. We've been looking at the fact over the last couple of weeks that, that naturally speaking, God's kingdom grows. That's God's intention for it. Uh, it grows in depth, and we're going to kind of look at that today. It also grows numerically. The Lord, last week we looked, was adding to the church people that were being saved on a daily basis. And so it's important that our notion of growth, if we are disciples of Jesus, if our faith is in him, it's very important that our notion of growth lines up with his. We don't ask Jesus to affirm our ideas in growth. We say, how is the Lord leading in growth, what, it, what does he call us to, and are we ready to follow him? So that's what we're going to cover this morning. And the way we're going to look at it is we're going to look at it kind of individually this morning. What does it mean for me to be growing, and how does that impact everybody else around me? So to start out with, it's, it's now, it, the season really is over. I mean, they have a game this afternoon, but it really is kind of time to do the postmortem on the Cardinals 2017 season, and it was not, by, by St. Louis uh, standards, it was not a good season. We finished, today we're nine games out of first place. That's probably about, we could get to double digits. We could end up 10 games out of first place. We're not going to make the playoffs. And if you stop and think about that, what if, let's just play the what if game for a moment. What if every one of our five starters just won one more game? Just won one more game. What if uh, our closer, and we've had a couple of them throughout the year, several throughout the year, what if the closer just won a couple more games? Well, there's seven games right there. That could have made all the difference in the world in being in the wild card and not being in the wild card, right? What if there were just a couple of balls that got to the warning track where we just needed a run or two if they'd just gotten over the wall or, or a pinch hit single just at the right time? We're not asking for 100 extra singles. We're not asking for 60 extra homers, just maybe four or five. We're not asking for a pitcher to win 10 more games, just maybe one more, and we, we would have been there. So you can say, you know, it's the pitcher's fault, and you'd be right. Or you could say it was the hitter's fault, and you'd be right. You could actually, I haven't talked about this, but the first half of the season, we couldn't pick up a ground ball to save our lives. You could say it was the fielder's fault, and you'd be right, but not completely. Because the me on a team impacts everybody, right? And so what's important is for every one of us to look at our own individual responsibility as a disciple of Jesus in order to assess how the community is doing in our spiritual health. So while this is about me and it's about you and about you and about you, it's also about us. That's Paul's intention as he writes Ephesians. He wants individual disciples to look into their own hearts, look at their own faith for the good of the entire community. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Hear the word of God. For this reason, Paul writes, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he begins to talk about how he's praying for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what, are, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. Period. That was a whole, that was one sentence, right? And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that it contains and the way in which it transforms hearts and minds. And it draws us to your grace and your compassion and your mercy. It tells us of our, of our guilt and our responsibility for our sins, how we have fallen short of loving people the way we should, of caring for others the way we should, of honoring your name the way we should. Your word graciously reminds us of our transgressions, of our willful acts of disobedience, not so that you would be punitive with us, but so we would begin to understand our great need for a Savior, that we would lose all confidence in our own righteousness, and we would seek a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So, Lord Jesus, we come here this morning needing you, whether we realize that or not. Every person in this room is in in deep need of a saving relationship with you. Lord, there are many people in this room that have put uh, their faith in you, uh, that are walking with you. And, Lord, for those, uh, growth is necessary. Uh, we, We ought not stay where we are. We ought to mature in our faith. It is the natural course of the way you have created the world and the way you've created your church. So we pray that you would grow us up. Another little bit this morning as we read your word. Father, for those of us that don't know you, that have not experienced salvation, we pray that those seeds would be planted. And this morning may be a day of salvation where we cry to you, knowing that your grace is sufficient for us. So Lord Jesus, wherever we find ourselves this morning, happy or sad, fulfilled or empty, we pray that you would meet us and that you would teach us. Father, forgive me my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So where we're headed this morning is simply this, the collective growth of Jesus' church, right? So you just say green tree. The collective growth of green tree, right, hinges on every disciple growing in his or her faith. So if you're a believer this morning, uh, the question that you ought to ask as we go through this text is, how am I growing in this particular area of my faith? If you're not a believer this morning, you're wondering what it's like to be a Christian, the question you could ask is, do I see the kind of things that the Bible's talking about evident in the lives of the people around me who call themselves Christians? That would be a very fair question for you to ask. Now, we're going to look at, there are probably a dozen uh, here, but we're going to look at four ways in which I must grow. How, how do we individually Uh, grow? What is Paul calling us to? And the first observation I give you, the four, is this. We need to grow in our ability to apply knowledge. We need to grow in our ability to apply knowledge. So Paul says in verses 15 and 16, I I love you, I care about you, and here's how I'm praying for you. And then he jumps in to this uh, prayer, remembering in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The emphasis in this verse is what 
is the outcome when Christ is revealed to us. When you come to the understanding that you're in need of a Savior and that Jesus has done that work for you on the cross. And through his resurrection, God has affirmed his gift. And so you put your faith in him. When that's revealed to you, how does that change the way you live? How does that handle, how does that change how you handle your work day? How does that impact the way you treat your neighbors? How does that affect the way I look at, at the money with which God has entrusted me? Paul is saying that there is a revelation here that is based on knowledge of Christ. And the application of that, of God's revelation and our knowing Jesus is lives of wisdom, right? After all, if you, if you take theology out of the equation, you just talk about wisdom in general. What is wisdom? Wisdom is simply knowledge applied, right? It can be as simple as you walk outside and you look outside and it's raining and you go, I'm going to take my umbrella with me, right? The knowledge of rain and what it does to clothes that aren't under an umbrella leads you to the wise decision to grab an umbrella and take it with you when it's raining. It's, it's that simple. So now when you apply it theologically, what does it mean to be wise theologically? And that's what Paul's getting at. So back to just kind of the general understanding of wisdom. Uh, a few years ago, the sump pump in our basement went out about four years ago. And our house is built in an area where there's a lot of groundwater. There might actually be a natural well under there. I don't know. But we need a sump pump, not just on days when it rains. It can be dry. You can be sitting in our living room. What is that? No, that's the sump pump going off. And our sump pump happened to decide to give up the ghost about two days before Christmas. So everybody's at our house and our sump pump dies. And I come downstairs and there's water in our basement. And so I look on the internet. I read about it. I go down. I stare at the sump pump for about five minutes. I go outside and I look at the pipe that's coming through outside and I look and I say to myself, I can do this, right? (laughs) All all you visitors here, just ignore these people, okay? (laughs) I don't know why they're laughing. But wisdom told me that two things. It told me for a guy who's like good with his hands or a gal that's good with with her hands and can fix stuff, this would take him about 45 minutes, right? That means it's going to take me four hours. It also means that my vocabulary during that four hours is going to change, and the levels are going to go up, and the levels are going to go down, and I'm going to stomp up the stairs at least twice because I've forgotten something, i got to go back to the hardware store. So wisdom says to me, go get Cindy, and Cindy says, what can I do? And I said, you could take everybody in our family, and you can leave for four hours. And so they did. And when they came home, I was sitting at the table. And I had a big old grin on my face and I was just smiling from ear to ear and I had a sump pump that was working and I put it in. And it took me a minute short of four hours to get it done, right? But wisdom told me, right, the knowledge of how I'm gonna react says get every, we we don't want collateral damage, get everybody out of here, right? Okay, what does Paul say about godly wisdom? He says that we imply what we know about Jesus what's been revealed to us about Christ, there are going to be some things that we think differently. There are going to be some ways we think differently. There are going to be some practices in our life that are radically transformed, not because we're working hard at it, but because God is revealing Christ to us. How can you be in love with Jesus and not care for the poor, right? How can you be affected eternally by the cross of Christ and have any amount of self-righteousness in your life that looks down upon other people? How can you have the revealed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, known to you and not care about the eternal destiny of others? And if you're a disciple here this morning, you're like, I do care about those things. Why do you care about them? Why do I care about them? Because Christ has been revealed to us. Because we know that based on the word of God, how are we going to apply that? 
What does generosity look like in my life because Christ has been revealed? What is serving others? What is teaching or, or honoring God in the way I work in my workplace? How, how do I look at, at my marriage or my sexuality knowing about Christ and, and his revelation in my life? That's why Paul says he wants us to grow in the ability to apply knowledge because that knowledge has been revealed to us about the Lord Jesus. But secondly, not only do we grow in ability to apply knowledge, but he calls us to grow in emotional stability. Uh, everybody remember our, our friend there, Henny Penny? Uh, you remember the story, Chicken Little? It's actually, I didn't realize this until I, I looked it back up this week. It's actually an ancient story. It's been around since the time of Greek mythology. Uh, but more recently, it's been put into, you know, kind of our modern vernacular. And Henny Penny is a little chicken who gets hit on the head, walking around one day by the acorn. And Henny Penny panics and begins to run and shout, what? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. So some of you had this read to you when you were a child, or maybe you read it to your kids now, and, and goes into an absolute panic. The world is coming to an end. The problem, however, is that Henny Penny doesn't keep this to himself. He wants to share this information with everyone else in a very excited manner. So as you read the story, we come across Cocky Locky and Ducky Lucky and Goosey Pussy, all of whom, some of you haven't read this in a while, all of you uh, all of whom become convinced, along with Henny Penny, that the sky is falling. And so they're running frantically. They're shouting this message, and they come across who? They come across Foxy Coxy. And the fox says to them, now, what is this message that you have? The sky is falling. How terrible, how terrible. If the sky is falling, let's go into the woods, and we'll be protected under the trees, and the sky won't fall, all of us, fall on us. And so the hen and the duck and the goose run into the woods with the fox, and the fox proceeds to have a delicious three-course meal. Right? That's how the story ends. Right? Ought not always panic, because the sky isn't always falling. What does that have to do with us as Christians, well, disciples individually as well as churches collectively can lose their way when it comes to emotional stability. Life can be hard. Life can be incredibly difficult. In fact, when the Christians at Ephesus received this letter, which is the, what we call the book of Ephesians, was originally a letter written to the Christians in Ephesus, they received the letter from Paul who was serving a prison sentence. He was in jail. Paul was in a really bad way when he wrote this letter. And there are people in this room who have said, boy, the last month, I just soon forget it. I hope I never have to relive another month like that. Maybe you've, you've had that, maybe it was a few months ago, or maybe you know that something's coming up in your family or your work, and boy, oh boy, it sure doesn't look good. That's the broken world in which we live. And we can lose our emotional stability if we're not attaching ourselves intentionally to Christ. And so Paul says this in verses 18 and 19 eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul moves from, from the notion of wisdom, right, to the, to the, the intellectual, to moving to the emotional, the eyes of our heart. The heart is the seatbed of our emotions, right? The heart, when we, when we read of the heart in Scripture or when we, when we read in, in heart or we hear songs sung with heart in it, we think of emotions. We might think of tenderness. We might think of anguish. We might think of, of being in love. 
But all of that is, it deals with our emotions. And Paul says, I want your emotions to be enlightened by what? By the Lord Jesus Christ. By, by the reality of your circumstances. Because when you're tempted to think the sky is falling, there's a real good chance it isn't. Well, how do we know that? Well, he says this, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. Why? The hope of the calling, right? So you have the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So a hope is looking forward to something. And scripture promises us that this world is not all there is. But sometimes we live as if it were. Sometimes the, 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 the good things, but most definitely the bad things, sometimes I feel like I can't get out from under them. And that this is never going to change and this is going to be my lot forever. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're not saying that the temporary isn't difficult. We're not saying that the, temp- we're not saying that the temporary isn't filled with challenges. But you need to know your emotions need to be enlightened by the hope to which he has called you. That he promises that he's going to get you home safe. And that home is going to last forever. And, and the riches of his glorious inheritance. You're not going to inherit your uncle's you know, 2002 Buick special, right? That wouldn't be a terrible thing to inherit, right? Okay. But that's not, we're talking about a whole different level here that is in store for us in heaven. And that is, this hope is given to us. This reminder of these glorious riches, this eternal provision are given to us so that our hearts would settle. So that that our our emotions would say, that's right. The Lord Jesus is in control. Yes, it, it feels difficult right now. My experiences are not necessarily how I I would choose them, but I know I can rest in him. The eyes of my heart have been enlightened and I have an emotional stability that is a gift of God. And the other thing he says here that impacts our heart is the power of our God, right? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. So uh, every Sunday... Uh, I say to folks at the end of service, and I'll say it again today, that our Stephen ministers and our prayer team are over here on my right, and if you need prayer about anything, go over and, uh, and chat with them, and they'll be happy to pray with you or just talk with you. So the service is over, and folks had left the 8 o'clock service, and two Stephen ministers who are both good friends of mine were standing up here. So I just went over to chat with them, right? And doggone it if they didn't ambush me, right? Well, Tom, how are you doing today, right? Well, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty well in these areas. You know, this is going pretty great. This is going pretty great. But how about this area? We heard a little bit about this and that you might be a little sad about that. Oh, no. Here we go. But they prayed for me. They laid hands on me and they, and they prayed for me. And it was actually really, really good. But you know what? They didn't change my circumstances. They, they don't have the power to do that. But my Heavenly Father does. And so we went to Him. And we said, here's what's going on. We want your will to be done, but, but strengthen. And I'm not going through a massive crisis. Don't anybody panic. Uh, when I do, you'll know, okay? <laughs> I don't do real well at keeping those things to myself. Uh, but there's just kind of some, some, some struggles I was going through. And we went to the one who has the power to accomplish these things. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believes. Sometimes I look at the world and I go, does God really have power to change things? Yes. Paul brings me back and he reminds me how important it is that I grow in emotional stability. Thirdly, Paul calls us to grow in our focus. Verses 20, uh, verse 20 in the first part of 21. 
the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named. Disciples at times, I'll, I'll speak for myself and my experience with other disciples, we can be easily distracted by the things of this world. It could be the things with which we struggle, or it could actually be the blessings that we have in this world. The good things can distract us just as much as the tough things. And so how do we keep our focus when we're tempted to look in other places, especially if we are easily distracted? So, uh, when I was, uh, Katie was an adult. Katie, our daughter, is like 30 years old right now, probably when she was like 23 or 24. So she was an adult. And she said to me, Dad, I think you're maybe ADD or ADHD. You ought to go to a doctor and get it checked out. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And, uh, and I went to the doctor. And I'm, I'm going to laugh at myself. So for other folks that have ADD or ADHD, I'm not poking fun at you. I'm, I'm poking fun at me. Okay. So uh, don't, don't take it personally. But I go to the doctor and the psychologist says, okay, I've got a list of questions here. I want to ask you. They're yes or no questions. Just answer. And so he asks first question. Yes. Second question. Yes. Third question. Yes. Fourth question. Yes. Fifth question. I'm like, how many light bulbs are in that rafter up there? Um, one. Oh my gosh, look at a cardinal. Oh, I'm sorry, what was it? Yes, right? So by the time we got through 18 of them, 17 were yeses, right? So I know what it's like to be a person who is easily distracted. So I came across this story uh, this week. Actually, I, I read this uh, quote on a website. Why, why read only one book when I can read three books at the same time while you, uh, you watch a movie? Well, actually, so while I watch a movie and bake banana bread. The only problem with that is I can't bake banana bread or I could do all those. But I came across this story that I thought kind of described me. So I was recently diagnosed with ADHD, explained lots of my life. I'm trying to decide the treatment options. So my significant another, I went to the bookstore. We get there and I forgot why we were there. <laughs> 10 minutes later, I remember. So I go back to the clerk and I ask where the psychology section is. I wander over, got distracted by the photography section, started flipping through a book with frog pictures. Went and had a cappuccino, ended up buying a Thai cookbook and a birthday card for a friend. <laughs> we walk out of the store. I remember why I was there. Wander over again to the section. Look for two seconds and decide I'm too bored to look anymore. <laughs> I looked at Brian and said, oh, forget it. Let's go have sushi. That's my life, <laughs> right? And sometimes it's a challenge for people around us. But all of us, whether, whether we struggle with focus or not, can be easily distracted by this world and can lose our, our sight being on Christ. And so Paul reminds us to focus on this fact, that Christ has been risen from the dead, that, that our heavenly Father has the power to raise the dead, which means he has the power to forgive your sin and my sin and to give us new life and to raise us from the dead as well. This is done by a Father who loves and a Father who is powerful. He goes on in, uh, in verse 21 to expand on that a bit, right? So he has given, he's raised him, Jesus. He's seated Jesus at his right hand. And he has given him what? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. What Paul is saying to me is, Tom, focus on Jesus. The Father has transferred his power to him. His redemptive work has been accomplished in Christ, and he now rules and reigns. Don't lose sight of that spot. 
You look at it out on the horizon, it's there every day. Jesus is Savior and Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the one who can care for me, which, if I grow in my focus, will lead to one more observation of Paul calling us to growth, and that's a growth in perspective. As I begin to focus on Christ, he not only brings an emotional stability to my life, he not only helps me in my ability to apply godly knowledge to my life through wisdom, but he gives me an eternal perspective, not only in this age, but in the one to come. If you are a disciple of Jesus, eternity has already begun for you. If the Lord Jesus doesn't come back, yes, you're going to have to step through the veil of death. Yes, I'm going to have to to die, physically speaking, but it will be a blink of an eye and I will be with Christ. And so today I ought to be living with the perspective of eternity. We belong to the King of Kings. We belong to the Lord of Lords. He has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, right? So everything about my faith is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It changes the way I think and the way I live. This table of which we're going to participate in just a couple of minutes is a picture of that perspective. It reminds us of the power of Jesus and it reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus. That Jesus in his own authority went to the cross on your behalf and on mine so that we could have eternal life. That perspective ought to change a lot of things about my life. So last week I asked a question. Uh, We put it up on the screen and then we sent you an email. You know, how have you grown in the last year in your relationship with Jesus? A lot of folks responded and and we don't have time to go through uh, all the responses that we received, but let me give you just uh, a couple of them this morning. Uh, One person wrote, I've grown in my knowledge and understanding that God knows what I need a lot better than I know. This understanding has changed the way I live and pray. I pray more to align my desires with his will, to know his will, rather than giving him a shopping list of my wants. Not only does this give me joy, the joy of knowing him better, but it also has provided the benefit of him satisfying my desires with good things. Psalm 103, 5. One other one. I used to think that I was in charge. It's okay to be a control freak as long as you admit it. But God taught me that I am not in charge. He is. I have learned that if I pay attention to where he is leading me, good and often unexpected things happen. Change in my life is huge because I don't get worked up over how something is going to turn out or whether it's a project at work uh, or a green tree event in which I'm involved. I have peace knowing that it will turn out as God wants it to, uh, whatever that might be. It's God's party, not mine. Do you hear the change in thinking? Do you hear the, the, the change in focus, the change in stability because of that perspective? So I want to close the sermon this morning with a picture of a church. Uh, This is a church that uh, is still standing in the sense of the building. Uh, You maybe have visited this church. It's the old Sheldon Church just outside of Beaufort, South Carolina. Uh, And this church has been uh, built and destroyed and rebuilt and uh, crumbled uh, to the ground and eventually uh, became a church that was uninhabited and people scattered and went to other places. I don't put that up there to say, well, what happened to those people and how did they get that wrong? And they must not have been very good Christians to let their, their, their church go like that. I don't say that at all. Uh, today's our second anniversary. We're in a brand new building. I mean, this buildings go, two years is still brand new. But that doesn't define the church. 
The church is defined by, by you and me. Th- this is a place that offers us a place to come together and worship and to have classes and things like that. It's a wonderful place for the community to come and gather. I, I love our new facility, but it's not the church. We are the church as disciples of Jesus. And the question is not, does the building look like? The question is, does my life look that way? Or is my life growing because I'm applying the knowledge of the revealed Christ in my life? And I'm growing in my wisdom that, yes, I go through struggles, but I'm not shaken to my core because I know the one, I know the hope to which he has called me. I know what awaits. My growing in my focus, not being distracted by the things that this world promises, but resting in that which Christ has already given me, which allows me to have a perspective of worship, discipleship, and of service. May the church of Jesus Christ that gathers in this place uh, be around a long, long time. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning for your grace and your kindness to us. Father, we thank you for the love that you have poured out on us, which we do not deserve, but which you freely give. Father, we thank you for the glory and the beauty that is the cross of Jesus. Father, as... uh, As we study your word, we pray that you would grow us. Not so we can boast and say we know more, but rather that our hearts would be transformed, our minds would be transformed by the renewing power of your grace, that we would see the world more as Jesus sees it. That our longing and our desire would be to glorify him and to care well for those around us. Now, Lord Jesus, as we come to your table, we pray your blessing upon this act of worship. We pray for your spirit to be present in these elements and nourish our souls. We pray in your name. Amen. This morning we're going to to, uh, sharpen once again our focus on Christ as we come to his table. Uh, I want to remind you all that this is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not Green Tree Community Church's table. It's not, we're, we're part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church denomination. That sounds really fancy, doesn't it? Uh, it's not our denomination's table. It's our Lord's table. And if you are a believer in him this morning, we invite you to partake in your Lord's celebration. Uh, we celebrate, we remember, uh, we grieve over our own sin. We confess our sin. We don't come to this table in our righteousness and our goodness We come confessing our need for his cleansing blood and his renewing grace, but then we participate with confidence knowing that he graciously forgives and that he will nourish us as we gather together. So I share with you the words that the Apostle Paul passed on to the Christians in Corinth. He said, I'm passing on to you what the Lord Jesus passed on to me. The night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and after he gave thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take this and eat. This is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And after they'd eaten, he took the cup and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. All of you drink from it because as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me once again? Father God, we praise your name and we come this morning to the table of your Lord Jesus, confessing our sins, acknowledging we don't come in our own goodness. We don't come because we've done a bunch of things right this week or we 
put a little bit extra money in the church. We come this morning as objects of your grace with thankful hearts, confessing our sins, freely acknowledging that we do not deserve you to love us, but celebrating the fact that you have loved us in Christ and that you have redeemed us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you administer to your people through your sacrament. We pray in your name. Amen.